Hello, and welcome to the Cyber Sisters podcast. We're your Cyber Sisters, Allison and Emily, two cyber educators talking about edtech pedagogy, and this week, the tiebreaker. We are so excited this week because Emily and I have been legitimately waiting a full year to bring you guys this interview. Um, Our good friend on the podcast, uh, Rebecca Gibney, uh, published a book, The Tiebreaker, a scouting report on building a culture of gamification in professional learning. And as you know, we have reluctantly pulled Emily onto team gamification, right? And I am a big fan of gamification. Um, This book has so many wonderful, practical, amazing stuff Um, to share both for classrooms um, and also for sort of professional learning, which is really what it's geared towards. Um, But we are so excited to be sharing this book and also to have you back on the show. So welcome, Rebecca. We're so glad to have you with us. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, Emily. Emily, I'm so excited that you're diving into gamification. We'll have to definitely chat more about that. But thank you guys for having me back. I'm really excited to meet up with you guys as well. We are so excited. Um, This book was really wonderful. Um, We did get a chance to take a little bit of a sneak peek early as you were in the writing process. Um, And I I just have to say that in terms of professional development books, um, this one is really great. It comes with so many uh, fantastic, you've got illustrations, you've got diagrams, you've got um, practical examples. You've got exercises. I mean, everything you need in here to really, um, you know, get started thinking about gamification and professional learning. And, uh, you know, as we're going to talk about, I'm sure in this interview, um, I think that this is something that is really needed. I think when in our our first interview, I know one of the things that we talked about was that sort of childlike embracing of joy and creativity and all of these things and and sort of a game spirit, a game mentality. And I'm so excited um, that this is something that you can share with the masses. So tell us a little bit about your process for writing, Rebecca. Why did you decide to write this book? Yeah. And um, Allison, I don't want to forget too, you are the reason I called it the tiebreaker. Do you remember that? I do. I remember sending the feedback. (laughs) Again, like you were saying um, with having that sneak peek as part of my focus group, it was awesome because I was like, I still am not sure what I want to title it. And you gave me the idea of the tiebreaker. And I have had so many different interpretations of the title that I, that's my favorite part after people read the book and they're like, they just share what they think the tiebreaker is, who it is, what it is, what it means. And it's just so cool to see how everyone is interpreting it. So Allison, I have to give you kudos because you helped me come up with the title. Oh, you you cannot see my face, but I'm absolutely beaming over here, you guys. (laughs) So you asked me um, about, you know, why I decided to write this book. And it's really funny because if you're an educator right now, or I guess anyone listening to this podcast, you may have been thinking what I was thinking. Um, I was like, oh, this is just a silly idea that I do with my school and my colleagues. It's just something for fun. And I went to a conference and I never thought about writing a book about it. Um, And people were like, why don't you write a book? Like you need to write this idea down. I'm like, guys, it's, this is nothing new. Gamification has been around forever. Like I'm just doing it with adults. And they're like, no, you need to write a book. And quite honestly, it was the encouragement from my peers and my colleagues and my mentors that were like, no, we're writing a book. Um, and so that's why, how I decided to write the book. I love it. When people are like, yeah, you should do this. And you're like, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, isn't this like, I don't think what I'm doing in my classroom, isn't this what everybody does? <laughs> isn't, isn't this normal? And then other people are like, no, that's not normal at all. <laughs> or you'd be surprised. 
And I definitely think that one of the things that's so unique about your perspective is that you're coming in and doing gamification from, I think, a really interesting vantage point because you're also a coach, right? Like an actual basketball (laughs) play game coach, right? Right. Um, And I know that one of the things I often talk about with um, many of my other friends, Gamify Ed and sort of like that group, is how much Mm -hmm. we learn about being educators from the process of playing games ourselves, right? Embracing Mm -hmm. that fun, looking for opportunities for fun, looking for a a sort of another window into education. And that's one of the things that I I know that I've said to many students, but also to many educators, is that games, I think, are really this interesting mirror of what the educational process can be, right? When a student sits down to play a video game or when they're trying to play, you know, football for the first time or soccer for the first time, they're trying to learn a skill. Um, And there's all of these strategies and all of this stuff that comes with being a coach, right, Um, of any of these different sports or, you know, becoming a good player in whether it's, you know, a tabletop game or a video game um, strategies that game developers are using to help students uh, and, and players, right, to progress through that game. So I think you bring to this such a unique vantage point because you have that coach mentality and it shows not just in sort of your suggestions for and and examples for how this is going to look, but also in what your strategies look like. You think about the actual act of (laughs) being being in a classroom or sort of being being in a school as everybody's a player on the same team. Um, And I think especially in in places where school can sometimes feel um, divisive or maybe like there's different different groups that have different goals and different aims, a a coach is sometimes really what a school needs. Um, And I think that this book does a really good job of sort of illustrating a bunch of those points. Yeah, I um I love the perspective of taking it from the coach. And I always say, like, it's tough love. That's how I treat my basketball girls at like yep. homing. Yep. Um, it's how, you know, I treat everything in life. Um, it's tough love. And so writing the book from the scouting point lens, because that was my role, you know, at like homing, um, it's just cool to give that insight into it. And even if you're not a sports fan, like you can still understand the dynamic behind it. Um, and it's really a passion of mine. And so it's the idea of during this time when I wrote this book, well, not when I wrote the book, but when I started gamification, I was not in like the best place of do I want to questioning, am I staying in education? Am I not? And I was like, oh, this is the same thing. Not the same thing. I use that term loosely every single day. I need something to space it up. And this was my answer. And so that's why, you know, I decided to start with gamification And the book is just simply about like, how do I build the culture? Because you can't just, whether it's in the classroom or with adults, you can't just dive in and, oh, we're doing a gamification here. Maybe with students, because students really, you know, they they sort of have to do what you say you're going to do. But you need the culture. You need to know your players. You need to scout it out a little bit. Um, And so I think that part is really important before you even jump into gamification. So for our listeners who maybe haven't read the book yet, this is this is our moment of plug. Everyone definitely go out and buy this book and, and, and give it a good read. Um, but uh, what what does gamification sort of look like in your role and, and what sort of uh, for for our listeners does this look like at your school? Yeah. So my role has changed since I wrote the book. So I work now in an organization at, at an intermediate unit. We have those in Pennsylvania and I'm a coordinator of professional learning now. So I don't work specifically with one district. I'm actually servicing 19 districts um, with a, a variety of things. 
Um, but when I was in doing this with the one specific building that I was working at as an instructional coach, it looked very different. And I want to say this because I think we talked about this with Emily before. Gamification can look differently from classroom to classroom. You don't need to be over the top um, with this extensive drawn out like victory and thought like strategy wise. It's as simple as it could be like a um, like the game. Sorry, that's like my favorite game. You could oh, do, you know, Jenga. I did Jenga all the time in my classroom. There has to be some kind of element of suspense where you can steal points, take points, anything like that. For me, my focus was and this is what I write about in the book, I did it with my colleagues because if my teachers and my colleagues and myself were not having fun, our students are not having fun. And so, so it was true. my hope that they would take it and then trickle it down in their own classrooms. Um, and then we can collect data and we had, you know, it, it helped with initiative fatigue, all of those things. But I basically just took, we were a sports team culture, um, a lot of my colleagues like sports and athletics. So we, we did like in the football, we did the tailgate challenge. And so we, I talked with my principal, these are all the initiatives that we had um, going on this year. Okay. I'm going to make these challenges. And then teachers had to show me evidence. They were on teams and, and they just competed. They could get touchdowns, interceptions, you know, fun things like that. I just really just spun anything I could think of. So you were able to take sort of the building initiatives and mm -hmm. say, okay, we're, we're going to try to make this something that is a, a little bit more fun. Right, right. Yeah. One of our topics, for example, was like formative assessment or text-dependent analysis. You know, most Ooh, times- we know when, that one. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you, it's so important, but when you sit in a professional development or a faculty meeting or something, and it can be long, right? Like it's exhausting to go through a TDA from beginning to end. Um, so how do we spice it up? And we actually ended up doing who ran over- uh, grandma or, you know, it was right at Christmas time and it was the whole grandma got run over by a reindeer and we were giving teachers strategies and we ended up gamifying that. So they had to read this article and think about who in our, in our staff ran over grandma and ah. our principal was on board and the whole <laughs> faculty meeting was a game. But by the time it ended, they realized they went through like, I think it was like eight or nine close reading strategies that they could then use. Like I would use that then as a follow-up for my next gamification. That's so clever. Like right. such a clever way to break through. Because I also think that doing things is often one of the best ways to learn, right? Like it's right. one thing to sit in a professional development where you're going to, you know, watch somebody model something um, or like worse, you, you break into those little breakout groups, right? And you're doing like a very dry, you know, kind of textual analysis, look at the example and then then try it yourself. But but to actually come in with inquiry and, and with interest-led inquiry, right? Mm -hmm. We say this with our students all the time is that interest leads learning, right? right. Um, that, that this is this is such an important part of that process for adults, too. And for us mm -hmm. to take that seriously as, as educators of educators is yeah. really important. Well, and, and it's so hard because, you know, I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to think that every professional development or every professional learning opportunity I offer is gamified. That's oh, sure. Not, sure. That's not the case, right? But we tend to forget that when we have adults in the audience, we forget that they want to have fun too. And they might not show it right away. And it might not be for everyone, but eventually they appreciate it. You know, right. it allows them right now to turn off, which is is nice. Well, and I think that leads to my question too, because 
as I was reading the book, I was thinking, I love all of this, and I wish RPD was more like this sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking, as a classroom teacher, because I know a lot of our listeners, we, I mean, we have a mix of everybody, um, but I, we, we have a lot of classroom teachers. Um, and can these strategies be easily adapted to classrooms? Um, and how can we how can we do that without much time? Because we all know that is of the essence right now. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so much. I don't even know where time goes in the day. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of ways I, I scaffolded it. So one, they could take the concept of gamification and use it in their classroom. And some of my colleagues did that. Um, and then I could coach them through that. But the other thing, my biggest point was I want them to feel and experience the strategies or what our initiative was. And then, okay, you're going to turn it around. I have it already done for you. These are quick hitters. Put them in your instruction tomorrow, next week. Um, and I was there to support them. And then to encourage them, I usually did have some kind of gamification blitz or challenge coming up, or it would be something that would be in the future. Um and so, so yeah, I mean, they can take that and use the strategy directly into, in their classroom or, and their instruction, or they could um, take the gamification concept and then work with me to, to tweak it in their classroom. One of the strategies that was in your book um, that I, I have definitely thought about when implementing not just gamification, but sort of anytime I have to introduce something that's like a little bit new, we're going to try something new, maybe a new piece of technology um, or a new strategy for something. Um, and I, I love this discussion in the book was about the different types of players, right? Now, I have talked on this podcast plenty about my love of like Bartle's taxonomy, but your taxonomy of players um, comes very much from uh, your experience with basketball. And I think identifying players in this way and how they can relate to each other in a team game um, mm -hmm. is absolutely brilliant. Um, so can you tell us, first of all, a little bit about, um, you know, sort of your discussion of the different types of players? How can we identify them um, and how could we sort of adapt this to different learning environments, whether it's in a professional learning setting um, or in sort of like a classroom setting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for those of you that are basketball fans, um, you can sort of relate to the starting five, right? Uh, those of you that aren't, it's fairly simple. You know, we start with five players. We also have our captains, our shooting guards, our post players. And so I identify, and it's interesting because I never thought of it until I started writing this book. But I was like, wow, this really relates. Um, you know, you have your captain who's your side by, your go-to person, the one that's running alongside of you, who cheers you on and is like, yeah, go, go, go. Like, And sometimes I had that, but sometimes I had the – they had to rein me in, right? They had to say, Becky, you're crazy. You think that we can do this while PSSs <laughs> are going on? And you guys know me um, personally, so you know how my mentality is. Um, <laughs> so I needed to rein in a little bit. But you have your shooting guards who their job is to shoot. Their job is to do it no matter what. Um, and, and they keep shooting even if they miss, right? So how do you support them? You have your um, post players who are the ones that will roll up their sleeves and get dirty as they're trying to plan the gamification with you. I tried to bring like recruit, I guess, you know, I'm looking at my recruiting, my dream team here right now. That's one of the chapters in the book. But we also talk about, you know, the bench players. Um, and I think it's an interesting concept for your, your students too. There's always people that don't 
necessarily jump on board, right? Yes. Um, and I think last episode when we talked, Emily even mentioned too, you know, I'm not sure about this and, and it's okay. I had people that didn't play at all, but they were still part of the team, right? In the book I mentioned, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And I truly do believe that even if that person that is definitely not on board, sort of like a Debbie Downer, oh my gosh, like Becky's doing this crazy next thing, you still have to find an in with that person. You need to figure out what can, how you can get that person along. For me, it was often listening and respecting their opinion taking it into account because they do have an opinion because your students are not going to be strong if that teacher, you know, you don't pull them along. They're not using it in a different way. And I was flexible with them. It's just like in the classroom, right? You have all of these players. Um, but, you know, you have the bench players and you still need to value that. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't contribute any contribute any less to the team. I thought that the bench player concept was probably one of the most eye-opening for me thinking about my own classroom. Um, I feel like a, a lot of uh, sort of gamification stuff really focuses on what motivates players to play. Um, why are they playing? Why are they engaging? How can we maximize what they do well? Um, but to be, to challenge myself to think about how could I create a system where bench players exist, right? Because that's that's not right. something that that exists as much in the gamification culture that I come from, which is much more like tabletop games and video mm -hmm. games, right? Like if you don't got a controller, like where are the places that you're contributing? Um, and I began trying to look for that in other areas of my own gamification, right? Is it the people who are watching playthroughs and writing comments um, to the different people who are playing maybe on a, a live stream like Twitch um, or something like that? Is it, you know, the people who um, are coming and they're watching a tabletop game, um, maybe, you know, the, the spouse of, of someone who's playing or a friend of someone who's playing, they're hosting the night they provided, mm -hmm. not, but they don't actually know how to play D&D themselves, you know, something like that. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. And it did challenge me to start thinking about for where's where's that moment where a student can sort of tip their toe in if they're not feeling comfortable 100% yeah. of the way, right? Like, is there mm -hmm. is there a place for that student who's like, I, I don't want to get, you know, big into this. I don't want to put myself out there yet. I'm not ready for that um, in whatever kind of learning experience that, that I'm in. I don't want to share my example yet. I don't want to be the person to raise my hand. What's the thing that I can do so that I can still be a part of the culture, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, how, how are those things, um, you know, part part of that experience? So I really thought that that was such a great one. Um, and I know that that is something that has actively changed in my classroom. One of the big things that I've been doing a lot that sort of was directly inspired by this is now I've been doing a lot of things in actively learn in Nearpod where there's likes mm -hmm. that are available. And so I'll have pretty rigorous um, uh, parts of, of class where I'll have students sharing examples. And one of the ways that a student can always participate is go ahead and like a, a response that you think is strong or help us vote for the one that we're going to use, right? You don't have to be the person that shares. You don't have to be the person um, that, that's doing the big think, but can you support those who are doing it? I really think that that's such an important thing for us to think about in the classroom is what is the role that someone can have when they're not ready to take that big leap? Yeah, and I, I'm really glad that you you took that those ideas and and really you run, ran with it. Um, 
because you also want to think about like when we're in the, the coaching world, we think, you know, everyone peaks at a different time. I go back to when I first started doing breakout EDU. And the first time someone put one of those boxes in front of me, I was a cheerleader. I was like, this is way over my head. Yep. I am just going to cheer everyone on. And now, like, I think it's like five years later, I'm the one facilitating how to create breakout rooms and yep. breakout EDU. So everyone comes to their own at their own time. The other thing I want to suggest too is remembering that as the teacher or as the building leader, you know, you are the coach. And Coaches are strategic, right? So when you're grouping your students, once you get to learn who they are, you can think about how do I group them strategically, right? So you don't have all bench players on one team, you know, and you can even like talk about those roles with kids. So definitely um, something to consider. And I know another thing that Allison and I talked about a lot was um, rewards mm -hmm. and obviously <laughs> – classrooms especially ours that are virtual um and with virtual not virtual switching back and forth all the time um and even in quote-unquote normal times um it can be really challenging to find compelling rewards um and you had a lot of really good ideas for rewards um what was your thought process that you went through to find the rewards for your staff or maybe ideas for rewards in classrooms um, that were both motivational and balanced because uh, you had some ideas that didn't cost a whole ton of money too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you send out the survey and everyone wants money, like some kind of stipend or everyone wants time off. Yep. <laughs> um, and again, when we talk about what's control controllables, um, not something I have the power over. Um, and and to be honest, not something I really wanted to reward people with. Um, so, you know, the first thing is, for those of you who know me, you know, I go big. So I always started big. Um, and then I had my captain who would always pull me in a little. But we always started with the big, big thing first. So, for example, the one time we had an ice cream truck. Would that happen every single day? No. But here and there, maybe you find a way, right? I'm always about if there's a will, there's a way. So um, high risk, high reward, all of those things. Um, what ended up happening, you know, if it was a little gamification, it would be a little prize. Um, if it was a big gamification, like I said, it would be a, a bigger surprise um, and prize. Some things, you know, it all comes down also to community partners, um, the more you network and get to know your community, a lot of community members are willing to donate and to partner and to help. We had the radio broadcaster come in and during our March Madness gamification, um, he like broadcasted the teacher winning team over the loudspeaker. Yeah. Like, you know, and kids understand that. Let the kids know about your culture. Right. Um, and, and I know some other districts who have started doing this, you know, sometimes they use, we use sometimes to dress down days um, to support our funds for the prizes. Yeah. Um, sometimes it was out of my own pocket, not going to lie, some Dunkin' gift cards here and there. Sometimes teachers as a collective group would donate a prize. Um, and also, you know, what started happening, and this is amazing, and I was so fortunate to have a superintendent and a school board that really supported my work um, and my colleagues' work, 
is that once you start collecting data for this and you show it's working, you know, everything I put together was was from investments from the school board and, the you know, the administration team to to initiatives that they wanted to see. So when I bring back data and say, this is how many times this strategy has been used, this is and then they start seeing the payoff. They actually allocated a budget for me for gamification. That's incredible. That's amazing. And so, I mean, it just goes down to, again, when you there's a will, there's a way. And um, I know someone that I worked with, they did um, one of the car dealerships. They they like rented out a car for the day. Like they provided a car for the winning teacher, you know, like for the day (laughs) or like a test drive of a. And so like you just sort of like. I always would look to what it themes with, with the actual gamification. I'm a big person with themes. And then I, I went with that. And when you look in your classroom, I mean, kids are kids are motivated sometimes, you know, with simple things. You know, my classroom, it was stickers, a stamp because you made it to level one. Um, and then it got bigger. You know, I also always went to my newspaper and clipped out all the coupons for like Burger King and McDonald's. I would just clip all those and put it in a raffle. Um so all of those tricks that we've used for years, they still work, um, especially in the classroom. You just have to think sort of a big, big and imaginatively. And, and the same thing happens with students, right? Like when I send out the same survey, that is what, what could be the reward for our gamified unit? It's always like not have to take a test um, or uh, homework, you know, the homework pass, don't have to do, you know, homework or points, you know, extra bonus points or things like that. Um, and I think there are reasons that those don't always make the best rewards um, because right. they're not like a special moment. You know what I mean? I think that what I love about your choices of how to gamify is you're not just picking something that is intrinsically sort of fun to do. It's an, a moment that everybody gets to experience, right? Like, Everybody who earned enough points could go to that ice cream truck. And even if you weren't that teacher that got the car, um, you got to watch which teacher did get that car. And it's still a moment that everybody is able to engage in and sort of make make a laugh about. And and it helps mark that time and make it feel like a real occasion. Um, So I love the whimsy. I love dreaming big. Um, I love all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that one of the things that's worth talking about when we're talking about discussions of gamification and teacher culture, um, I think especially at at this particular moment, (laughs) um, (laughs) teachers are dealing with a lot of challenges, Mm -hmm. right? I I think I I would be remiss um, in this podcast that I think has been so um, on the pulse of many different things that are sort of happening in in the world of education that are pandemic related, um, that are, uh, you know, related to the sub shortage, related to sort of this general burnout that I I think I know the profession is feeling. Um, I'm so interested about how these experiences of the profession have affected your ideas about gamification, about professional learning culture, about supporting our teachers, um, and sort of just what it means to be a coach in education right now. I I don't think it's an easy place to be. Um, Certainly classrooms are not an easy place to be right now, but I also don't think it's very easy to be in the position of trying to mediate that experience and trying to solve those problems because, you know, I know that coaches and, and administration, they don't always have the resources that they need to, to do those things. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in how these experiences have either really solidified certain ideas that came to you in this book, or are there places where ideas have grown or you've noticed certain pitfalls? Um, 
you know, sort of related to what we've all experienced as, as a culture. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it has been such a shift. Um, and I have the privilege of mentoring our instructional coaches here um, and some of our leadership cohorts. And you just see the where um, that happens as a result of, you know, the pandemic and everything that's that's happening. I think we talked about before we started recording, you know, I was talking with another friend at another intermediate unit. I'm like, are we always this busy? Yeah. And and she brought up a good point. It's a it's the fact that we found out as an as educators in the education world, we found out ways to make it work when we were going through a pandemic. And now we're back to quote unquote, because I use it loosely, normal times. Yeah. And we're trying to do what we did in the normal times while on top of that, doing things that we did in the virtual world and the pandemic times. And it's just, we're trying to keep up both and we're not finding the happy blend yet. And I think that is so important to consider and give ourselves credit, practice a little bit of grace. Um, you know, with working with instructional coaches, when I was doing gamification, I was still a full-time classroom teacher. I had a period for coaching. Um, and a lot of this just came because it motivated me. It was actually, it's a pseudo, like completely opposite way. It kept me from burning out because it kept me energized and it kept me having, you know, fun at what I'm doing every day. Not everyone's like that, right? Gamification is one extra thing sometimes for that individual, that coach, and it could lead to burnout if you don't implement it in a smart way, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I talk about in the book, I think it's in um, uh, like the fifth key or the fourth key to victory, the X's and O's, it's the fourth key. Um, and we, we talk about know yourself, the X's, right? So it, from the coach, from the beginning of it, when are your busy seasons? What can you handle and can't you handle? Because, you know, while I'm in the winter season, I'm, you know, a wife, I have fur babies. So I'm maintaining all of that, plus my full-time job, plus coaching college basketball. So, you know, you think about like, I'm not going to throw a huge gamification out there at that time. And so you first have to think about you personally, and then you think about your players. Um, and that's not selfish, right? Oftentimes we think, oh, well, that's selfish. I can't think about me first. Um, there were times people were like, hey, are we doing a gamification? I'm like, I can't at this time, right? So, you know, practicing the grace, being realistic with yourself. For me, what has evolved and what I've realized is, one, we need this more now than ever because people need fun. And it doesn't have to be anything over the top, but people need fun. And what I'm finding right now, sometimes I, I'll roll this quick idea out, but people are like, oh, people don't want that. People don't want that. They're just tired. They want to come here and they, they want to leave. And I, this is going to be a little bit of tough love, but one, I understand that. But two, shame on us then, right? Yeah. yeah. Because what do we tell our students to do? Hey, you got you to gotta do it, right? And so we have to have some fun with it. And so keeping that in perspective, the other thing that I've realized is now more than ever is the importance of listening and understanding, practicing empathy, something I've been really hooked up on. I was at an, an equity meeting and someone brought up the idea of empathy versus pity. Ooh, right? ooh, this is some good yeah. stuff. <laughs> right? I'm like really hooked on this right now. Um, you know, and it brought me back to when I was in the classroom and I had some students and I'd, you know, feel bad maybe for circumstances. Everyone has their baggage, right? 
And there's a difference between pitying them and practicing empathy. And Brene Brown does work on this as well. Um, Because by pitying them, I'm not doing anything for them. I'm really just saying it's okay. Like you can sit out from this activity because of this. And while I understand that everyone has circumstances, right? There are things. But just drawing your attention to when you're acting with pity and when you're acting with empathy. And I go back to that because there's a lot of emotions in education right now. A lot of emotions. And we need to remember how we respond, again, with pity or empathy. Um, And that as a coach is your number one thing. Um, I'm even, you know, coming back from pandemic, coming back with, again, quotes, um, you know, whether it's on the court with my basketball girls or when I visit classrooms or when I'm working with administrators, I am finding myself pulling myself back and saying, Becky, remember, Becky, remember, like, because you, you're starting back from scratch and you're listening because everyone's needs are very different now. Yeah. And you yeah. have to relearn your whole team dynamic. So those are my aha moments that I've been having since the pandemic. And there's tons more, but I won't get into everything. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you build that as the coach. And so, so that's something to, to consider. I think that the point you make about pity versus empathy is such an important one. And I, I think in part because the classroom that I work in is co-taught. Emily has been on sort of my team um, you know, for, for a very long time, many, many years. Um, one of the things I often lean back on that is sort of very similar is imagining if I could give at, like myself as a teacher, like SDIs <laughs> or like right. needs assessment or things like that. Right. Um, because I do think that there is a real difference between looking at a situation and saying, like, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. I'm emotional. I don't feel respected. I don't feel all these things. I see students walk into my classroom all, all the time that really feel very overwhelmed by being there and need supports in order to engage. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they can't engage. They need certain supports and they need structural changes, right? Mm-hmm. They need those SDIs in order to it, it be able to engage. But that's still my goal. My, still, my goal is still to get that engagement. Right. Um, And so often, I think in in our profession, but also in in other caring professions, I mean, one of my best friends is a a nurse um, and it's a lot of the same stuff. You see a lot of, you know, um, this you're you're a hero or just general encouragement or you're so amazing or, you know, putting students first or or putting, you know, the patients first or, you know, these kind of platitudes. Um, And that isn't the same as like a, a structural change. So I know when I get that feeling myself where I'm starting to feel like really in a negative or like there's something that I can't do. The, the tough love point that you make that says, what do we tell our students? They, they, you got to do it, right? Like you've got to find a way to do it. Uh, you've got to hold those high expectations for yourself. But then saying, what, what do I need, right? Like what structures do I need in place to make that possible for myself? And really thinking about it from a strategic gameplay kind of decision, right? Like, does this student need more time practicing their free throws? Like, you know, this student isn't being guarded, you know, the way that they need to be guarded to make that shot. You know, I I might have to reverse, you know, this situation so they can get that that guard in in place, you know, Um, all that sort of stuff really, really matters. So I think that's such an important moment. And I'm hoping will be like a real moment of potential awakening, because I do think that in the profession, we're rethinking possible. Mm -hmm. Um, right now in a way that is also like, it's very challenging, but it's also so exciting to see us say, what if, 
you know, this could be something in education. What if this could be? It it goes back to your point about dreaming big, right? We're allowing ourselves to dream big, I think, in education while also having all, all the pitfalls that kind of come along with it. Absolutely. I mean, and you think about even, you know, I was in a STEM classroom the other day and I was watching, you know, kids, their attention span is so different now because, you know, if you think about it, we are bringing them back to school and they have to, well, depending on your or in your scenario, right? But you, they sit th- through a class. Oh, sure. Yep. And in the pandemic era, it was not necessarily, it might have been they were on for a little bit of time, but they were fine. They were tuned in right? But they were maybe on screen with you for 10 minutes and then they did practice. And yeah. so now we're having them come back. That's, that's why gamification could be so, you you have to think of different ways to engage. Uh, you know, again, I love the book, Bold School. Um, like just, you know, as strategies, we're not saying that what was like old school strategies that they don't work. Jigsaw still has a huge effect size with John Hattie's work. Like but how do we do a jigsaw now in the 21st century? Yes. Um, yep. Yep. So obviously we just talked about like everything we learned during the pandemic, which was <laughs> a lot. Um, but what do you wish you knew? We always end, end with what do you wish you knew before you started? Um, so we know we asked you this before when you were on. But if you wanted to like refer to writing the book or coaching with gamification are coaching more broadly because you probably answered gamification before. So yeah, no, it's it's really funny that you say it because I honestly don't even know what I said last. <laughs> um, it's been so long. And you know, I really feel like again as an educator, you commit to being a lifelong learner. So every day you're reflecting and and that's for me, Allison, is one of the main reasons I called it the tiebreaker because the tiebreaker to me is reflection. If you don't take the time to reflect, you still become you're in a tie. You're in a tie, whether you take the time individually. Um, And so I think, you know, one, again, the importance of reflection. I'm still struggling with finding time to reflect, but it's, you have to be intentional about it. My, my second thing, and again, I I still don't know if this is a bad thing or a good thing. (laughs) I move fast, right? And so oftentimes, you know, I'll, I share these big ideas because that's who I am. Um, I get an idea. I act on it. I would always go to professional development. I'd learn. And then the next day I'd put it in. And people are like, how do you do that? Um, that's just who I am. But if you're listening, that might not be who you are. So understanding that you can start small. You can be slow in the process. Um, just because I give sort of big, grandiose ideas doesn't mean that that's the way you need to run if you're looking to do gamification, right? Um, so while I say I try to slow down or, you know, not move so fast, I don't know if I want to slow down because that's just who I am, right? Um, and so staying true to you, I think, is really important. And the last thing, you know, I think I mentioned this last time now that I'm, you know, to retraining my thoughts is the idea of like, not everyone is going to like the idea. Not everyone is going to buy in. And that's okay. It's not a reflection of you unless unless it is. And you reflect and you're like, mm, this was a bad time in the school year. And I mentioned in my book some of the failures I had. I did do some gamification and get no participation. And that's when you just learn from it, right? Um, it's the same thing that happens on the court. It's the same thing that happens in life. Um, and so I, I think that's important to keep in mind as well. 
I, I think that's such a good point. When when John was here, John Meehan, yeah, yeah. Um, he had such a great interview, but he, he said something very similar that was about um, how long in a video game it takes for usually a, a player to fail. Um, that the the like iteration is like so fast, it's like 90 seconds or something like that, right? And I, I think that that kind of goes to your point about like just getting in there. We mm-hmm. learn from doing stuff, from getting in there more than we're ever going to learn from like reading and taking in or listening, right? Like as, as much as I love our podcast, right? Like part of the reason that we are sort of built the way that we're built is we're trying to give things that are actionable, things that you can do right in your own classroom and that, that we're doing and making mistakes for and failing with in our classroom so that we can right. we can learn together. Um, and, and to bring it back to your book, that is one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is that there are things that I can take from here, whether they are diagrams, ideas, stuff of all different levels that I can start instituting tomorrow mm-hmm. if I want to, with that reminder that there may be places where something doesn't work. And here are the questions to ask yourself to reflect on why and what you can learn. Because ultimately, I think part of being lifelong learners is us being able to go through that process, right? We, we right. can give tools, we can do these things, um, but we are we have to be the ones to go through that process. It's not something that anybody can do for us. Um, and I think that your book does a really good job of allowing for that and, and really making that accessible. So thank you so much, Rebecca. It has been an absolute blast. We're so excited to have had you on. You always have so much wisdom to share. Oh, well, thank you. It was so fun reconnecting with you guys all the way back from KTI when we all met. Um, And it's been so long since I've seen you face-to-face, so I can't wait, hopefully, at Pete and C to see you guys again. I was just going to say that I will make sure to put in the show notes the link to your website. And is there, like, can I link directly to your book? Is it on Amazon? Yep, like, can yep I it's there? on Amazon, okay. Barnes & Noble. Yep. Okay. So I'll put the link to your website and the link to Amazon. So if you have not picked up Rebecca's book, you can get that too. I have the Kindle version. Um, but uh, yeah, so those will be in the show notes if you are interested in either of those. Because I know your website has a ton of, of resources too, right? Yes, yes. And feel free to reach out at any time. Anyone can DM me on Twitter. Um, that's where I'm actually most active. Um, so feel free to reach out anytime. And and she is one of those people. We we message many various educators as part of this podcast, guys. Rebecca is one of those people who like will message you back and has like nice things to say. So don't, do, do not be afraid of her. Hey, listen, <laughs> if I didn't have the connection, that's the one thing that helped me with this. If I didn't make connections um, and we were in a community, I don't know if I would still be in education, to be honest. So community is all is so important. Could not agree more and could not have said it better. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of the Cyber Sisters podcast. Our next episode will be up on January 21st. In the meantime, you can keep in touch with us on our socials. We're on Twitter at, at Allison K Teaches and at Sattler Cyber. We always appreciate keeping that conversation going. Please remember to give Rebecca some love as well. Um, like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And as always, keep trying hard.